Hi everyone, this is Lama. And this is Sarah. And you're listening to On the Other Line. Today's episode is about a very important and pressing issue. We're going to be discussing racism and the recent uprising that is happening in light of the events that have occurred in the U.S. Of course, the events that I'm referencing are the racial attacks and the police brutality against black people. One of the most important things that we can do during this time is to amplify black voices and to actively listen. As an attempt to do this, for today's episode, we're going to be handing over the mic to a notable Canadian black activist and academic, Dr. Afua Cooper. Dr. Cooper is also the founder and chair of the Black Canadian Studies Association, and she is a professor at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, Canada, at the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology. Her research interests include Black Canada, slavery, and social justice and inequality. Dr. Cooper is also a poet and an author. Um, one of her most notable works is the book The Hanging of Angelique, The Untold Story of Canadian Slavery and the Burning of Old Montreal, which follows the story of Angelique, who's a woman slave who was convicted and executed in Montreal in the 1700s. Dr. Cooper also has a PhD in Black Canadian Studies and the African Diaspora from the University of Toronto. So without further ado, here is our interview with Dr. Afua Cooper. Dr. Cooper, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. As I'm sure, You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure you've read in the news, there have been a number of um, horrendous racist attacks that have been recurring in the U.S., uh, most recently the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and just days ago the murder of George Floyd. Um, and these are obviously only a few examples of the countless racist attacks that have been happening um, in the U.S. for years. But I want to start by asking you, um, what was your initial reaction or what were the thoughts that ran through your head when you first heard about these recent murders? My initial my initial reaction was one of outrage. I um I watched a sickening video of Mr. Floyd being being murdered, and you know telling them that he couldn't breathe. I I was just outraged. I wasn't even shocked because this happens all the time, but I was just outraged. And I thought, how can the world stand back and watch this, and not call for and implement justice? So obviously, as I mentioned, these recent incidents are only a few out of many more racist attacks that have been happening against black individuals in the past few years. Um, I've even heard of uh, racist incidents that happened in between the k killings of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Um, but with hashtags such as I can't breathe or um, justice for George Floyd or I run with Maud, we've seen more and more of these stories come to light. Um, and, I, and I recently read a quote by Will Smith that said, racism isn't getting worse, it's getting filmed. So my question is, what role do you think social media plays in the fight against racism? Social media plays an important role. But Lama, my, my, I, I'm thinking, so yes, we have the cameras now. Even the cops are supposed to be ruined by the cameras. Mm -hmm. People have their phone cameras and they're filming everything. But is it really making a, 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 a difference? Is it leading to change? Um, people filmed Eric Garner get, um, being killed. The police still got off. So the, the governments, whichever, whichever level of government we're talking about, 
let's say municipal government, because they're the ones responsible for the police, they aren't implementing laws and policies that are going to protect people against the police. So I think even with the cameras, the police still, uh, the police officers still act with a great impunity. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm still torn. Yes, it's great to have it on film because when you have it on film and you present that in front of a, a, a judge and a jury, they you know they see it for themselves. But but a, a, a very clever defense lawyer can still manipulate the facts. As now we're hearing that they're saying, oh well, George um, uh, George Floyd had comorbidities. He had a heart problem. It wasn't just a choke that killed him. He he had underlying illnesses. So even with the evidence, with visual evidence, I'm 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 not sure justice is served or justice will be served. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, even with the video of the killing of George Floyd, these officers were only fired. Even after that video was released, they were only fired for a while until people started raging, and it took days for them to actually be charged. So it's yeah. absolutely crazy how um, something can be so obvious, but no change is being done. Yeah, yeah. So I want to shift towards talking about racism beyond the American border, because uh, there's this idea that this issue is just an American issue. For example, some Canadians might think that um, the issue of racism is much worse below the border and that, you know, we don't have that kind of thinking in Canada or Canadians are better than that. And I'm sure that this idea also extends to other countries as well, where they think that um, they don't have they don't have it as bad they don't have as bad of a problem with racism as the U.S. has. Um, so, what would you say to that kind of thinking? Well, what would I what I would say is that it's 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 a really dumb way of thinking. Wherever you have a system of white supremacy, you're going to have a system of racism. I mean, if we could just go back to the U.S. quickly. Minnesota was hailed. Minnesota used to be called the most Canadian state of the American states. They, they, they said Minnesotans acted like Canadians, so on and so forth. Now, the lid is blown off Minnesota. Now, we know that racism has ex- existed in that police force for decades. It's the third black man that Derek Chauvin has killed. In, in, in George Floyd. The third, he's been killing pe- black people with impunity. He has something like 20 complaints against him. So just look at the state of Minnesota that was hailed at this very, as this very liberal state. And now we see that it wasn't and it isn't. So if we jump across the border to Canada, first thing, Canada has 35 million people. The United States has 330 million people. We have one-tenth the population of the United States. So, you know, so then there's that demographic difference. Mm. difference. But at the same time, though, the racism here is still as entrenched. It's just that we don't have that many people. Yesterday, I was thinking about this. Over the past years, decades, we have had so many police killings of black people, especially black men. Recently, in 2016, Abdurrahman Abdi in Ottawa, I also watched that video where he was beaten to death by two police officers. They had they beat him with a baton and then they punched him in the face and punched him in the head and beat him in the head with the baton. That man was beaten to death. Nothing happened. It was caught on camera. It was caught on the camera in front of his apartment. 
We have the case of um, Jermaine Carvery in Toronto, uh, Carby, Jermaine Carby, uh, Andrew Loco, um, or Loco. So many people, the, the name, even earlier on, Lester Donaldson, Wade Lawson, who were either shot and killed by police or, or murdered, beaten or murdered or what have you. And now we have the case of this young woman, Regis Korchinski Paquette. This week, mm -hmm. a few days after George Floyd in, in Toronto, she died under suspicious circumstances in her interaction with police officers. So because Canada is so close to the United States, we share this very long border. We're always referring ourselves against the United States. Oh, things are not as bad as in the... Well, we don't have the population that the U.S. has. But Canada is still a settler colony. Canada is still a white supremacist country. The, 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 this is a country that, that came about, this construct, because of land theft from indigenous people. And African people were brought here as to be slaves, to be slaves for the settlers. And when slavery ended, the social hierarchy that was the norm during slavery was reinscribed during the post-slavery period. We had segregation of, of black communities. We had segregated schools, segregated churches. Um, in certain employment, black didn't have the opportunity to, to pursue and so on. So I think people need, need to stop this about, you know, it's not so bad. So what's the difference if you die from 10 knife cuts or from one knife cut, you know? Mm. Um, it, it, every day, black communities in Canada are saying, hey, you've seen the reports from the, the Halifax Police Department when they did their street checks report that black people are, black men are nine, nine times, nine times more likely to be street checked than mm. white people, black men. When you round it off to the black community as a whole, they are six times more likely. We've seen the Halifax report. We've seen the Ontario Human Rights Report. We've seen human rights report coming out of the, the province of Quebec. We've seen police report coming from the city of Kingston in Ontario. How black people, especially black men, are oppressed, are targeted, and are penalized by the police uh, force and by other law enfor enforcement agencies. It is awful. It is awful. It is awful. I mean, again, there's there's definitely institutional racism that still remains in Canada. It's definitely a huge problem, and people might not focus on that as much. They might overlook Well, you know, part. two days ago, the Prime Minister, uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he came in, in one of his press briefings, and he... He talked about the George Floyd situation, and he said, it happens here too in Canada. He mm -hmm. said anti-black racism is alive and well in Canada. And I was glad he said that, yeah. because he is, he is, you know, the, the number one person in this country. He's our leader. And I'm glad he said that, because that saying, uh, making such a statement carries weight. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad he acknowledged that other than, you know, the usual Canadian response is to say, oh, um, it, it, it's not as bad in Canada. Oh, aren't they awful in the United States? Well, they're just as awful here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think there's um, a lot of confusion regarding how people can effectively support the Black community. Um, on one hand, there are individuals who feel guilty about just sharing posts on social media because they feel like they should be doing more. 
And on the other hand, there are individuals who just share a post on social media and they think that they have contributed enough. Uh, but I want to ask you, what do you think are some mm. of uh, the effective ways for white people and non-black people of color to support the black community and the fight against racism and to be allies of value? Okay. Well, you know, sharing posts is fine, but we, we can't stop there. Mm-hmm. So one way is if you're in um, within your families, you engage these conversations. You have children, whatever their age, they could be 10, they could be 20, as white people or non-black people. You tell your children not to kill black people because you have these white boys and white women who are going out there and are doing harm to black people whether with their words or with their actions. So have, have conversations with your family around the dinner table. People are staying home now. It's, many people, it's COVID. And even if you're not staying home, have these conversations. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a worker, you're in a workplace, you're in a university setting, you work at wherever you work. Have these conversations with your workers, with your colleagues. And when you hear racist statements being made by your colleagues, call them on it. Report to your manager or, mm-hmm. or to your boss. Call your black friend if you have a black friend. And if you don't have a black friend, make a black friend and, and talk to them. Check in with them. How are you feeling today? How can I help? It's not for the black friend to educate you. I mean, those days are over. It's 2020 now. You, you got to get with it and educate yourself. Mm-hmm. But check in with the black people you know. How, how can I support you? Write to your, your, your leaders, your representative, whether it's your municipal representative, as in your, your counselor, or your MLA, or your MP, or MPP, or the prime minister, whomever. So there are many ways. Let your voice be heard. Go on a march. Go on these marches and demonstrations and put your bodies between the police and the bodies of black people. Mm -hmm. Police will think 10 times before they shoot a white person, right? They will not think before they shoot a black person. You know, uh, learn, read, and and stop denying. When, When this impetus seizes you that says, oh, this person is overacting, this person has a chip on your shoulder, on their shoulder. Check that impetus. Just stop yourself. Where is that coming from? Let me hear what this person has to say. You know, I, I, I as you know, I work in a university and it's, it's really incredible when some of, you know, Ma, Mike Brown, Trevon Martin, Jermaine Carby, Carvery, Angelo Coo, when all these people were gone down and or murdered, or you know, beaten to death, or died from you know whatever mode of killing. And there I am walking in the corridors of my my um, building, in my office, going to meetings, and not one of my colleagues would say anything. Not one of my colleagues. It, it, it's as if they live in, and they're non-black colleagues. It's as if they live in this complete and separate world that they think it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect them. So people have to become sensitive because it affects us all. And if you think you're out in, the, in your nice area or in your nice condo and this is only happening to those people out there, well, you better think twice. But, you know, earlier you asked me, Lama, about the use of social media. And, and you know, I, my answer was, well, you know, it could help. And I still feel that way. It could help. It's not helping as much as it could. But in the case of Calvin Cooper in Central Park, it did help help a lot. Mm-hmm. When Amy Cooper, the white woman, was threatening him and said she's going to call the police, and 
tell the police that an African-American man is threatening her and her dog, and he filmed her, mm-hmm. and later on he posted it on Facebook. It helped a lot because uh, people watching the, the, that video were able to identify her. Two of her dog walkers identified her, and then her workplace, uh, the Templeton Investments, fired her and issued a statement about that they do not condone racism and so on. So in that case, it, it did help, and it, it brought greater awareness to the issue of racism and to black racism. You know, but then two days later, we have the, the killing of George Floyd, which was filmed in color for all the world to see, and I, we, we are still yet to see how that is going to make a difference. Yeah, I read a quote online that said, um, it's not enough to just be not racist, you have to be anti-racist. And it really struck a chord in me because it's true, you have to be proactive. It's not enough to just um, claim that you're not racist. You have to actually do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for my questions. Uh, But before we wrap up, is there anything else that you feel I might have missed that you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, you could add, talk about the, the state the psychic state of black people right now. I can tell you I'm in I'm in the state of grief. I'm in the state of rage. Mm-hmm. I'm in, I I'm 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 not feeling well. What is the, the, the impact of this on our well being in Canada, mm-hmm. United States, in the Caribbean, in South America, wherever, in Europe, in, in Germany, in France, what is the state of this on our well being? And this is another thing that society is going to have to look at, how black people are traumatized over and over and over again. So the, the state of her psyche, I think of George, um, George Floyd's daughter, little five-year-old daughter who watched it on TV, who watched her, her father being murdered, and they said she, she just screamed nonstop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my heart goes out to that little girl. Here she is, now lost her father, and traumatized, traumatized. Who is going to look after that? Who is going to make sure that for decades to come, this little girl who will grow up in, into a woman, hopefully, will have the help that she needs to get over this, to watching her beloved father being, being killed? What has that done to her? What has that done to his family? What has that done to the greater African community across the world? Mm-hmm. And so... I think that that's another thing you you can think about. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, It was definitely a much-needed conversation, and it was very interesting to hear your take on this, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah, and I really hope that um, people take these tragic events and take them as a force for change. It's sad how these events have to happen for non-black people of color and white people to actually um, see what black people have to go through every day. Every day. But I I really hope that this ends up creating change and that people really stand together in solidarity to um, create a more equal and just society. Yeah, I hope so too. And what people have to realize, you know, this is a white supremacist structure. Mm -hmm. This is a capitalist structure, and it will eventually eat everybody. And pe- people don't get that. People say, oh, I'm this, I'm that. Oh, I go to this university. Oh, I have this job. I might be of color, but 
you know, I'm, I'm living up the life, they don't realize that the system is coming for them too. Yes, for sure. Um, thank you very much again for sharing your opinion. And do you have any questions for me before I go? I, I just wanted to check that as well. Oh, no, I don't have any questions for you, I, uh, Lama. I, I, I just, you know, I, I just want to say like non-black communities and not necessarily white communities, but especially immigrant communities of color, they need, they need to step up. Yeah. They need to step up. And, you know, when it's their time, they, they want the solidarity um, from the black communities. But some of these communities have never stepped up for black people. Mm-hmm. They've never been allies. They always think they're separate from these affairs. And, you know, now we, we see with COVID-19 and people like Donald Trump blaming China. And there's been attack against Chinese individuals in, in both Canada and the United States. People are saying, oh, you brought COVID here. And so many individuals in these communities are actually feeling the hostility for centuries. From the moment black people stepped off a plane ship in this part, and not one or you are, you are certainly, you know, one or two individuals too. But as a whole, these communities stand apart from black people. And China say, well, that's not happening to me, that's your fault. And now it's happening to them. You know, not in, in, in the, to the extent it's happening to the black community. But many people have heard, you know, students at Dalhousie talk about the racism they have encountered. These are Asian students. But I'm thinking, when black people are going through their trauma, you never want to lend a helping hand. You not even send a tweet. And it's important to note, too, that black people paved the way historically for, for other people to be able to get some sort of equal rights. Yeah, or to even come to this country. Yeah. Or to even come. Remember, for 100 years, Canada had, white, had a white-only immigration policy. And, you know, the, the black people that were in this, in this country went to Ottawa, went to Ottawa to lobby to open up um, the, the immigration system so people of color, racialized people from all around the world could come to Canada as immigrants. Once upon a time, you had to be white to enter this country as immigrants and mm-hmm. as settlers. They would let in a few people as laborers and as students and as domestics. But to come and settle or migrate officially, no, only white people. And black people put their lives on the line so Canada could open up for, for everyone. But when then, you know, these other non-black racialized communities, they turn around and they stick at the black community. It's very, very unfortunate. Again, I really hope that people take these events and, and stand in solidarity with the black community um, and come together and not let differences divide us. Thank you, Mama. And you have a great day, uh, weekend. What's left of it? Thank you, Dr. Cooper. You as well. So there's a lot to take in from this interview. One of the most important things that Dr. Cooper pointed out is that Canada is not immune to racism. Uh, Canada has a substantially lower population than the U.S., as Dr. Cooper stated, and as a result also has a lower proportion of Black Canadians. Um, So according to data from Amnesty International Canada uh, and Pivot Legal Society, Black Canadians make up 3.4% of Canada's population. However, they make up 9% of police fatalities. Um, Additionally, there's a CBC... Uh, news investigation that looked at police fatalities in Toronto. So uh, black people in Toronto make up 8.3% of the city's population. 
However, they also make up 36.5% of fatalities involving Toronto police. And this data is from the period between 2000 to 2017. So that tells you a little bit about where Canada stands in terms of racism. I think in talking about racism in Canada, I think that the movement in the U.S. has not only sparked a conversation about racism in Canada, but racism all over the world, from countries all over the world, including Spain, where racism happens on a day-to-day basis, but it's never really talked about, um, to having this conversation in Arab communities, our own community. I think it's a big step for us to talk about it because Arabs have this tendency to only talk about and like really focus about racism when it's about their own experiences with racism, especially when they're living as minorities in another country. But it's not a secret that racism exists in our own communities, whether it's towards black people or South Asians or Asians or even racism against other Arab countries. And even if racism isn't as obvious as police brutality in the U.S. or extreme as police brutality in the U.S. It's the racist remarks at the dinner table, it's the name-calling, it's the generalization of others to actual mistreatment and dehumanization. Um, We also exhibit racism by favoring westernness or whiteness. You know, the light skin, the light eyes, the blonde hair that we aspire to have. I think that racism is so entrenched in the world that we live in today that we even go as far as internalizing it. I think that, um, you know, glorifying whiteness and and westernness is part of internalizing that racism. And like you said, Lema, before, that um, it's really important to know that black people have paved the way for other races to even enter, to even immigrate and have better opportunities in another country. So, yeah, so I think it's really important that, especially as people who have experienced discrimination because of the color of their skin, because of their religion, because of whatever, because they're different, I think that it's really, really important for us to really take a stand against it, to really show our solidarity and not um, stay silent on this kind of matter. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also important to note that racism, uh, that it's not, it, it's not just a recent thing because a lot of people are starting, I guess there's people who are starting to notice it more now because of social media, but it's been present for the past 400 years. So I want to touch on what Dr. Cooper said about mental health and trauma in the Black community. Um, it's often an untapped area, but it's clearly an area in need of concern. Uh, so according to a 2018 American study by Robert Motley and Andre Banks, um, a, system- a systematic review conducted by this study found that approximately 56 to 74 percent of black males that have um, experienced traumatic-, traumatic events may have an unmet need of mental health services. According to that study, uh, black males are also less likely to utilize mental health services compared to other ethnic groups. Um, And the reasons for that range from high levels of daily crises to a lack of knowledge on how to receive these services um, to issues with service eligibility. And I imagine that um, black women also face similar issues. I also recently read this uh, Psychology Today article 
that discussed microaggressions against black individuals and how they add up over time and end up creating trauma. And it's important to note that trauma gets passed on to other generations. Mm-hmm. I think when, yeah, I think when people think about how change can happen, particularly um, change in relation to racism and systemic racism, they often uh, think about policies and they think about government and they think about laws. But it, but we also have to think about our healthcare system and particularly our mental health care system. So I want to send out a message to any psychologists out there um, that it is important to be able to provide services that are targeted towards the black community and the trauma that they can have as a result of facing years of racism. Yeah, of course. I also want to go back to a point that Dr. Cooper made uh, when she asked about whether having videos on the internet really makes a difference. Um, Like the one of George Floyd um, or Eric Garner, um, or many other videos that were taken by Black people to record police officers violating their rights. Um, I think the fact that Black people automatically hit record during interactions with police officers says a lot about the relationship that Black people have with law enforcement. Um, The kind of trauma that would make you feel like you have to record just in case something happens um, or just to prove an injustice even happened in the first place. As if your words as a black person would mean nothing compared to a police officer. And even in cases where these videos are provided as evidence, the entire system will usually do everything in its power to bury the evidence or discredit it. Um, That shows a lot about the system itself. And it's not just about the, the few bad apples that, that um, like some people would argue. The fact that these officers were comfortable enough to murder George Floyd in broad daylight, in front of a rolling camera, in front of the public's eye, speaks a great truth about the system that we're living in. Um, I think also, I think it's important to point out that um, just to like kind of combine what you just said and what you said about the videos and what I said about the mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of videos circulating that show, obviously, that show the death of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery. There's obviously videos that show racial attacks. And I think it's important to acknowledge that these videos have an impact on um, Black individuals' mental health. Exactly. And yeah, and because I saw a lot of comments from black individuals who pointed out that um, they didn't want to see these videos because these videos added up to their mental trauma and obviously created a sense of um, despair or a sense of mistrust of the world. Of course. Um, So I think it's important to keep that in mind when we're sharing stuff online. Sometimes people really need to see this stuff to really uh, feel the impact, especially like for non-black people sometimes they really need to see something like that to really feel an impact that black people go through but we also have to acknowledge our black brothers and sisters and their mental health and of course the families of um the people who the black individuals who are involved in these videos yeah of course so before we finish i want to stress that it is not the responsibility of black people to educate others on how not to be racist Mm -hmm. We can't put the burden on black people to correct our faults. Um, It is it's our obligation to seek resources to educate ourselves on black history and racism. 
Um, it's our responsibility to unlearn the system that we've been born into and the system that has been embedded in our heads. I, I just also wanted to say that right now, history is being made, which is why it is especially important for us to use our platform, for others to use our platforms, to tell the real story about, about injustice in America, about racial injustice, not just in America, but everywhere in the world. And in doing so, to amplify Black voices in a way that sets us up for change, in a way that actively and never again passively works to dismantle the very system that perpetuates racism. Once again, we'd like to thank Dr. Cooper for joining us for this episode. It was an honor and a privilege to be able to listen to her mm-hmm. and to have her share her knowledge and her thoughts on this. Yes. And to the members of the Black community, to our Black brothers and sisters, we stand with you, we support you, and we will do better for you.